First Corinthians chapter eight. Just for a summary, uh, to to um, remind you to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Paul, in the previous seven chapters, had addressed problems of division in the church. He talked about how those divisions could be corrected. He talked about the need for church discipline, especially in chapter 5. In chapter 6, he talked about the folly and the sinfulness of taking a brother or sister to court. In chapter 7, he talks about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, quite detailed. In chapter 8, Paul begins to answer the second question that they asked him about. Um, and this has to do with the eating of meats offered to idols. Uh, from a principal point of view, though, the question boils down to this. In the local church, in the assembly of God's people, how much should we let another person's view control our actions? That's the practical application of this. Or put another way, how much is my personal liberty, freedom, limited by your opinion? How much do what you think control what I do? Do you have a problem with that? Many people do. Many Christians. Now, at Corinth, the question came to light over the matter of eating meat sacrificed to idols. You see, some of these Corinthians were asking, if a Christian eats meats offered to idols, isn't he participating or fellowshipping in some way in the pagan worship of idols? You see, in a sense now, this was a good question, this is a good concern. Because they did not want to defile their conscience with the idea of offering meats offered to idols as believers. But the problem came when they started to make their problem the problem of other people. See, that's the problem. When their problem was made to be the problem of other members of the church. And you remember last time I asked a question, or I said, hey, uh, you know, some of us think that this idea of eating meat to idols is ancient. It doesn't affect us today. And you remember I gave you an illustration, right, of something happen, happening in England about halal. And I tried to tell you that, well, let me, let me give you another one. It's on the screen. And it's, if you look at the date, boy, I could never get down there for that. If you look at the date, it's Tuesday, the 5th of October. You see that? So that's only a few days ago. Thank you, ma'am. You're so gracious. Fun old man. Listen to this now. Waitrose is set to introduce, this is a place that, uh, this is a, something that is connected with Prince Charles. I won't go into all of it. To introduce non-halal lamb in the Prince of Wales Duchy range following complaints from customers. Prince Charles launched the Duchy Originals range in 1990 to raise the profile of organic food. And last week, a newspaper revealed that all of the lamb sold by Woltros was halal. A spokesman for Prince Charles 
who will become the supreme governor of the Church of England when he becomes king, said he was unaware. I want you to underline that word, unaware. He was unaware that the Duce original lamb was being killed in accordance with Islamic law. But from now on, that's, that's called halal. But from now on, all of Altros's organic Welsh lamb from the Duce range will no longer be halal. Now remember, they were doing it unaware. They pay became aware, so now they were stopping it. Halal meat is prepared according to a Sharia law by cutting an animal's throat while a Muslim butcher recites a religious verse. In other words, it's a religious activity that is performed over the meat, over the animal while it's being killed. The upmarket stores about turn comes a week after investigation by the Mail, that's newspaper on Sunday, revealed that most of the New Zealand lamb being sold in the UK had been slaughtered according to the Islamic law, but no one knew it. In response to inquiries by the newspaper, a spokesman for the waitress said, quote, we have decided to offer our customers an option. You know that? To buy lamb which has not received the halal blessing. However, all the store's other lamb products will remain halal and will not be labeled as such. Do you see what's happening? Do you? You say, well, that's in England. Well, you know, you all didn't know it, but I got some eye reporters. You know what an eye report is? You go around with a little cell phone, you see anything news happening, you take the picture and you send it. Well, I got two of them. Let me show you what they sent me. Halal chicken on Bahamian delivery truck. Look at it. These two reporters were driving behind a truck, I understand, and they saw it. You see the words written in Arabic? Slaughtered as per Islamic rights. That's chicken. Now, I'm not going to tell you what stores they went to. You've got to find that out yourself. But my, huh? But my... <laughs> My eye report is, is Mr. and Mrs. Anton Wallace. They were driving behind a truck, and this is what they saw. What am I saying? What is all of this going? But well, I'm not even going to talk about the Islamic influence now that is going on we don't even know about. That's a whole different story. That's coming up too, by the way. And to do it unawares. You understand what I'm saying? Unawares. But my point for bringing this is not so much a talk about that, it's a talk about the fact of the decisions that Christians still have to make concerning their conviction as to what is pleasing to God and what is not. 
In Corinth, it was the eating of meats offered to idols. And it's amazing how perhaps, in a parallel form, not necessarily the idols, but perhaps this incident here that we're talking about, halal chicken. Maybe you should start asking the Kentucky Fried Chicken where they're getting the chicken from. You understand what I'm saying? Now, the big point is this. When you find out, what you going to do? What is going to be your basis for behavior? When you eat that lamb in that wonderful restaurant you go to, and you never ask any questions, but the waiter comes and says, by the way, that was prayed over by somebody before being slaughtered. What are you going to do? Now, some will say like the, some will say like the uh, Corinthians, the strong Christians, hey, that ain't nothing. Idols are nothing. So therefore, when you offer meat, that ain't nothing. That don't, you know, since there's no such thing as a false god, the meat doesn't mean, I can eat it, and especially I get it cheap. <laughs> I can eat it. See, that's what the problem. Two situations occurred in Corinth. One was a scenario where you invited somebody's house. And they don't tell you anything. So you go ahead and you eat. But then they come in another situation and they tell you. Now the big question is, what are you going to do? See, some were saying, hey, not me, I'm not going to eat that meat. Not that I find, now I was eating it when I didn't know. And boy, it tasted good. Now that I know, it still tastes good. But now what is the decision? What is pleasing to God? You see the point? Now some were saying to those who believe that they should eat, the strong people were saying, man, you're, you're narrow-minded. You see, you're immature. You are not going to affect what I do. I believe it's okay for me, so I'm going to eat it. I don't care what you think. You see the problem? That was the situation. The question is, is that the right attitude to have? Let's go to chapter 7. We'll pick up from there. See, this is where it comes down to us today, our convictions. You see, many of you are going to look at this message, you're going to laugh at it and leave it, not, you're not even going to think about it anymore. Why? Because you're not really that concerned about living convictions according to the Word of God. But then some of you, as you go into it, you can find out that your whole life should be based on convictions of the Word of God, if you're going to be pleasing to God. That's what it comes down to. This isn't old, ancient stories here. This is something that impacts our Christian lifestyle today. Verse 7. Howbeit there's not in every man that knowledge, the knowledge that there's no gods except one, and the meat offered to them, doesn't make any difference. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, notice now, being weak is defiled. So he's talking about how do we deal with a defiled conference, I'm sorry, conscience of another Christian. A defiled conscience is one that is telling a person that to do a certain thing is wrong if they do it. 
even if the thing in itself is not sinful. In other words, the event, the action, the behavior could be what we call neutral, amoral. Nothing wrong with it in itself. But if I believe it's wrong for me, based on my understanding of the scripture, if I do it, I sin. You understand? That's what he's talking about at the file conference, uh, conscience. And so Paul outlines a biblical strategy for dealing with this issue. He, of course, first of all, recognizes there are two positions, or we would say there are two parties. First is what I call the freedom party. This is the one who boasted in the knowledge. You look at verses 1, 2, 4, 6, and so on, verse 8. We looked at these last time. He says, we know these things. We know there's no such thing as a God behind these idols. We know there's nothing wrong with these. We know, we know they're boasting on their knowledge. That's when Paul says, knowledge what? Puffs up. It blows you up. Remember we talk about the puff fish and all of that. Knowledge can puff up. That's the first warning Paul gives. He isn't saying knowledge is wrong, but it's how you use it. Your attitude toward it is what he's talking about. And so it doesn't matter which side of the matter you are on, whether the freedom party or what I call the fretting party, you know, the fearing party. They scared to eat. That's the fearful one. He says it doesn't matter which side you are on. Knowledge can create a sense of pride. Not only for those who boast to be strong, but also for those who boast not, uh, not being as strong as they are. In effect, they are actually saying, I'm stronger than you are. It's sort of reverse. When you talk about the weak brother here and the strong brother here, really, there's no difference. Because the person who doesn't understand the scriptures a lot, they think that they do. That's why they're trying to force you to do what they believe. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's not only the first person who boasts that he knows more. The other one says, well, I'm more holy than you, so I understand the scriptures better than you do. You are fleshly. You are carnal. That's why you don't understand it the way I do. You only have it up here. I have it here. And so the fearing side would say, how can they do such a thing? Don't they love the Lord as much as I do? The person with the intellect, the knowledge side would say, they should not be so literal and legalistic. They need to grow up. They're straining at a gnat. Now the fearing party was troubled in conscience. The freedom party was boasting in knowledge. The fearing party was troubled in conscience in verse 7. Now note, please listen carefully here. Conscience has this power. But if it is good, it makes indifferent things good. In other words, if I have a good conscience, I could look at something that in itself is not bad, and I could say it's good. 
But I have, if I have a defiled conscience based on a lack of knowledge of the word of God, I could look at that very same thing and say what? It's bad. The thing doesn't change. What changes? My conscience, which is based or has an information from knowledge coming from someplace. So in other words, and here's what is important, this indifferent, this gray area thing in itself, nothing is wrong with it. But what makes it wrong or right is what I think about it, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Where do I get the information from that helps me to make that decision? That's what Paul is talking about here. If the conscience makes that neutral thing evil, it's evil for them. That's why Paul makes a shocking statement. Look at what he says in verse 8. But meat commended us not to God. For neither if we eat, are we the better? Neither, if we eat not, are we the worse. What is Paul saying? Listen to the A.R. Lee paraphrase. But let me make one thing absolutely clear. Eating meat offered to idols in itself or not doing so doesn't cause us either to gain or lose any brownie points with God. In itself, it doesn't make an iota of difference in our relationship with God. That's what Paul says. In some matter, in some matters, God does not care if we partake or if we don't partake. God just doesn't care. You say that's quite a statement. That's exactly what Paul is saying there. Look at it. But then he gives a strong warning. Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. This is a warning. Now here's my paraphrase. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with less knowledge than you to sin. So Paul is bringing in another aspect of knowledge that these boastful people left out. They boasted that they knew everything about this. Paul says, no, no, no. You left out an important part of the information, and that is how it impacts your brother or sister. So you don't know everything. You left that part out. Your knowledge is not complete. Because you've left out that aspect of how it impacts your brother or sister. So he's saying, if at Corinth I see who I consider to be a mature Christian eating meat sacrificed to idol and he idols and he invites me to join, but I think it is sinful, he might influence me to eat. In other words, the matter itself may be insignificant. But if the indulgence of a strong brother causes me to eat that, that becomes sin on the part of the brother who eats 
as well as you who encourages him to eat. In other words, he's saying to use our liberty with offense of our brethren is an abuse of liberty. It is sin. Oh yeah, you might have freedom to go to the dances as we like to say here. And do all kind of jiggy up anything you want. And it don't matter to you one bit. But you let a young Christian see you there. And they were looking up to you as a mature Christian. And they say, well, I know it's wrong, but since they're doing it, it must be okay. And they go ahead and do it. That's what Paul is talking about. You just cannot say, yeah, it's okay for me. You, gotta ask your question, your, you, you have to ask the question, is it okay for my weaker brother or sister? Now, we don't like to think along those lines, do we? No. If I have freedom, then I have the right to do what I have the freedom to do. Isn't that right? But we forget that we also have the right not to use that freedom if it's going to hurt somebody else. That's also a right not to use the right we have to use the freedom we have. Someone has said, the judgment of outward things depend not only upon our conscience, but upon the conscience of those that see us. And therefore, our actions must be applied not only to our knowledge, but also to the ignorance of our brothers and sisters. Now, we don't like that. We don't like that. But that's exactly what the Word of God is teaching. Look at verse 10. If any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Is my paraphrase. For if such believers see you with your superior knowledge eating meat in the temple of an idol that has been offered to idols, won't they be encouraged by your actions to violate their conscience by doing the same thing? Let me bring it down here. Because it's a different thing, but the principle is the same. Suppose a young Christian in reading this thing about halal meat says, boy, not me. I'm going to eat that. I don't care which bit of chicken come. I'm not going to eat that. That's just wrong. But then they see me in Kentucky Fried Chicken. Because I like Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I go in big box there, and right on the front of it says, Prepared by halal butchers. And I eaten it. And he comes in and he sees me. Now, comes to me and says, Pastor Liman, you see what you eating? So yeah, man, that's all good. Ain't nothing to that. This is good meat. He said, But listen, you know the way this is, and you know what they believe there, God is different from and they go through all that. I just think that's wrong. I said, man, listen, man, you're young as a believer, man, that ain't wrong. Come on, let me, kick. here, I'll give you the, the dark meat, the thigh, I'll give you the breast. <laughs> now, he doesn't want to do it. But I intimidate him. And so he eats it. Now, who is sinning? 
Both of us are. That's what he's saying. The meat, eating the meat, that's not it. It's what we think about it. You understand what I'm saying? And it's not, it's what he thinks about the meat and it's what I think about him. It's what I think about him. He doesn't matter that much. I like the chicken better. So we might encourage the weak Christians to sin. Let's go on now. Paul then very clearly and precisely spells out the true significance of this seemingly insignificant thing. Because right now many of us think this is just insignificant. It really doesn't matter. Well, let's hear what the word of God says. Verse 11. And through your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Here's my translation. So in effect, wouldn't it be that because of the freedom your superior knowledge gives you to eat such food, a believer for whom Christ died will be spiritually destroyed? His spiritual life will be hampered. He will stop growing. Now notice how Paul puts it. For whom Christ died. Did you see that? Now this kind of making it to take on a little bit more significance here. This is not just opinions here. We can talk about opinions tonight from Romans 14. But he's not talking about opinions here. For whom Christ died. In other words, pleasing yourself with your knowledge, which indeed is not knowledge because you've forgotten about how it impacts your brother. If you had true knowledge, you would not sit down to eat food in an idol's temple. Will you destroy your brother, hardening his weak conscience by this example to do evil? For those for whose salvation Christ Jesus himself died? I think this is really getting serious now. Do you realize that your arrogance and your superior knowledge could prevent the spiritual growth of a believer in Christ, the one for whom he died? Well, Paul doesn't stop there. Look at verse 12. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you do what? Now this is really getting serious. It isn't so mundane anymore, is it? My translation. Know this and know it well. When you sin against other believers by encouraging them by your freedom to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Jesus Christ. Now that makes it a little bit more serious, isn't it? So we sin not only against our brother or our sister for whom Christ died, but we sin against Jesus Christ himself. Do you believe that's the word of God? Now you say, well, how does it impact me? Well, it impacts you when you decide to do something that is a little questionable. Don't only 
Think about what you think about it. Think about what others think about it as well. I don't like that, personally. I don't like that. That's too restrictive. But Paul is telling us that true freedom is only when that freedom is restricted by our concern for others. See, this is the way God thinks. The world doesn't think like this. But this is God's thoughts. In other words, to use our liberty in a way that offends our brothers and sisters is an abuse of legitimate Christian liberty. And it's a sin against Jesus Christ for whom, Jesus Christ who died for all of us. So therefore then, what does Paul say we must do? Verse 13. Wherefore, that's the conclusion. If meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. Wow. I don't like that. In fact, I hate that. But if I'm going to be a child of God, Got to obey it from the heart. Here's my version, my translation. So here's the conclusion and application of all of this. If what I eat will cause another believer to sin, even if I have the right to do it because of my knowledge, I will never eat meat again so long as I live. Because as a mature believer, my love for Jesus Christ, my love for my brothers in Christ, I don't want to cause another believer to sin by my doing so. That's Paul's conclusion. Love for God. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ. In a nutshell then, Paul is saying, our conscience is to be ruled. Now you're not going to like this. Our conscience is to be ruled by the conscience of the weaker brother or sister. How many of you like that? But that's the word of God. Remember what God says? My thoughts are far above yours as the heavens are above the earth. This is one illustration of that. We don't think along, who, me? I'm going to let that person dictate what I do or don't do. Well, according to this, in this situation, you're sinning against Jesus Christ. That's the Christian way. So let's summarize then as we close. One, we must not hide behind our weak conscience to selfishly have our way. I'm talking to those who like to look at other Christians and say, because you do this, you cause me to sin. See, sometimes that weaker brother is sinning too. They're just trying to intimidate that person to do what they it's a bias. You understand what I'm saying? You got to be careful. Some of the some of the worst offenders of this is the weak brother, so-called. They just want something to criticize the other brother or sister for. So you got to be careful. 
Let me ask you a question. Can one be a Christian for 25 years, 30 years, and still be a weak Christian because of selfishness? Sure. Sure you can. Christians, however, can legitimately differ about an unclear biblical issue without having to break fellowship or causing discord. We can have legitimate differences. And we don't have to separate. But you see, selfishness and arrogance causes the separation to take place. The arrogant person, I write. The selfish person, I write and you will hurt me by doing it. Trying to make me feel bad. And so what happens? There's a division. You don't talk to one another. You don't speak, but yet you come to the Lord's table and you break bread together. And you think God can accept that. No, he can accept that. That's what we talk about holiness of lifestyle. You cannot come, and we're going to talk about it in chapter 10, and fellowship around the Lord's table when you cannot fellowship with your brothers and sisters in the table at home. Can't do it. It's a lie. It's a hypocrisy. And God will not accept your worship or mine. Now, Paul here says he was not going to eat meat. But you notice something? He didn't command the congregation not to do it. But he did. Did you notice that? He just says, I won't do it. He don't say, you should do it. You still have to make a decision. That's where the conscience comes in. You remember this now. Paul was speaking about brethren and sisters with weak consciences, not hard heads. You understand what I'm saying? Weak consciences, not hard heads. We must not cause our brother or sister to stumble in his walk for Christ and hinder his growth. Paul says that is one of the greatest sins we could commit. You see, when we cause someone to stumble, it means, what does it imply if I cause somebody to stumble? It implies that person is walking. You can't stumble unless you walk. Right or wrong? So here's a Christian going along and you come and you trip him down and he stumbles. You prevented them from growing in Christ-likeness. That's what he's talking about. See, Paul says we should move towards Christ-likeness. In fact, in, first, in, 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 in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he says that's what his entire life was committed to, to proclaim Christ. Christ, the hope of glory. Why? So that you might be what? Perfect and mature. We must move towards that. What he's saying here now, if you trip up anybody in that walk to maturity, you sin against Christ. And so Paul says, out of love for Christ and the believer for whom Christ died, he as an apostle will not do anything that cause another person to stumble or sin. How can we avoid causing another brother or sister to stumble? First, we must recognize that the application of knowledge without love is sin. Did you get that? The application of knowledge 
without love is sin. That's why Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. Now, that may be mamby-pamby and oh, look things. No, no, you speak the truth. If you're sinning, the truth is you're sinning. You know, I'm not making a mistake. Oh, my, I understand, you know, things, stuff, that's all right. God knows. Sure, God knows. He knows what? You're sinning. <laughs> Speaking the truth in love means saying what the Bible says. We must recognize that the application of knowledge of love is sin. Secondly, we must realize that our liberty is not a license to do Whatever we want to do without concern for others. Our liberty, our license is not a freedom to sin. Our freedom to do something also involves our freedom not to do it. Not to do it. We have the freedom to give up any of our convictions that are not based on the word of God clearly at any time for the good of others. Now I'm talking about things that are not clearly defined in scripture, what we call the gray areas. We have the liberty to give those up any time for the good of others. Now not to give up the word of God. Not that. We must remember our responsibility both to Jesus Christ and to our brothers and sisters in Christ as those who want to live like him. And so I say as we close today, remember, knowledge blows us up like a spiritual balloon. But, look at this, love Builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. That's the greatest right we have. To edify others by love. That's what Paul is teaching. Bow with me in a word of prayer, please. Let's take a few moments of quiet reflection. If you need to say anything to God, if you have a decision to make, a confession to make, this is the time you can do it right to him. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces right to the deepest, innermost being of our souls. And if God has spoken to you today, respond to him and lay a hold of his grace to cause you to be the kind of Christian that cares and loves your brothers and sisters so much that you're willing, you're willing to give up some of the freedoms you have so that they will not be hindered in this spiritual growth. Father, thank you for your word. Use it, we pray, to make us more Christ-like. And all of God's people said,